This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Uh, last time we looked at things that Jesus taught, the who and the what Jesus taught. We saw that Jesus taught multitudes, and who did he teach? He taught individuals, he taught the poor, he taught rulers, he taught his friends, and he taught his enemies. In the what did Jesus teach? We saw that Jesus taught us to obey God. He taught us to be humble. He taught us to be caring. He taught us the way of salvation. And he taught us about the end of the world and the judgment day. Today we want to begin with the when did Jesus teach? Well, the first one we want to look at is Jesus taught when he was weary. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, beginning there in verse 1. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So he's going to be going back up through the region that is known as Samaria. And the Jews did not travel through Samaria. They went on the other side of the Jordan River, came up, and then came back over into Galilee. But Jesus did not do that. Because verse 4 says he must needs go through Samaria. When he cometh to, or then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So Jesus is going through Samaria, and he's now come to the city of Sychar. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now as far as the when did Jesus teach, this verse tells us he taught when he was weary. He taught when he was tired. Now, we don't want to stop there. We want to look and see what did Jesus teach when he was weary. Verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. Now, that is something that is really unusual, something that did not happen. That would be a Jewish woman, uh, excuse me, a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And the woman is questioning that as well. We go ahead and read verse 8 and verse 9. Anyway, it says, For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy, buy mead. Verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So you see what Jesus did there, and this is going to be going into you know what he teaches. He's also teaching us how to teach. He got the woman's interest. You are speaking to me. I am a woman of Samaria. Jews don't do that. Why are you doing that? Well, Jesus answered her there in verse 10. And said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given unto thee living water. So Jesus is now leading her to the spiritual. Now she's come there, and he wants a drink. That's physical. So she talks about the physical there. Why are you doing this? And then Jesus is leading her to the spiritual side, this living water. Well, the woman goes back to the physical side again. Verse 11, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? So again, she's gone back to the physical side, but Jesus is leading her to the spiritual. 
verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus is leading her back to the spiritual. Well, the woman in verse 15 goes back to the physical again. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So she's still thinking physical water. Well, Jesus changes the subject on her here to lead her to the spiritual again. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. So Jesus is leading her to the spiritual here in a different way. The woman saith unto him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now she is on the spiritual side of things. And then she made a comment here, a kind of a question. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. The Samaritans, the Samaritans there made a temple there on Mount Gerizim, and that is where they worshipped at. A few things about the Samaritans there, they believed only in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't believe really in anything else. And then they also taught, again, to worship their own Mount Gerizim. Now, Mount Gerizim was the mount where the blessings that are mentioned in Deuteronomy to, were to be given, as Mount Ebal was the mountain where the uh, curses were to be given. So Mount Gerizim is where they built that. Well, Jesus answered her this way. You know, her question was, you know, we worship here, you worship there. Which one's right? Jesus saith unto her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So in other words, there's not going to be just specific places. And then he tells her, ye worship, ye know not what. In other words, you're doing it wrong. You are not worshiping properly. Then he says, We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And they were to worship there in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers, so if you have true worshipers, that means you also have false worshipers. But anyway, the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now that is having the right attitude, having your heart in the worship, and in truth by doing by worshiping the way that God has prescribed us to worship. Now you look around denominational world, some in the church as well, people are only there to be entertained. Have your big bands and music blaring and your after dinner speeches going on and things such as that. Your little, I don't know, I guess you might say your little devotionals that only, that never teach anything, to only tell people how good they are and how much money they need to send you. You know, such things as that. People want to be entertained today, but that is not a true worship. True worshipers worship God with respect, and they worship him according to what the scriptures say. Now, verse 25, the woman has another statement. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. You know, Moses mentioned that back in the book of Deuteronomy as well, that there is another prophet coming. Listen to him. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I am the one you're looking for. 
As a matter of fact, the little word he there is added by the translators. He just says, I speak to thee, am. I am. Again, whenever Moses asked God back in Exodus chapter 3, whenever the children of Israel asked me, well, you know, who sent you? What is his name? To tell him, I am that I am. And that is what Jesus is saying here. Now, verse 27, his disciples came back. And you'll notice their surprise here. And upon this, his, on this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. He was, they were surprised that Jesus talked with a woman. You know, it's amazing how many people in the world today claim that Christianity is anti-woman. Well, the world is anti-woman. Christianity is pro-women. Jesus is here talking to a woman. Women are uplifted in Christianity, in true Christianity. There are those false so-called Christians who do not uplift women, but Christ, true Christianity does. Anyway, it says in the middle of verse 27, Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? They knew better. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? And they listened to her. Then they went out of the city and came to him. Well, you drop down here a little bit. Go back to what the woman had done there in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all things that I ever did. You know, isn't it amazing that there was more faith there in Samaria than there was in Jerusalem and Judea? They believed her from what she said. Verse 40, So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So Jesus taught when he was weary and since he asked for a drink, we understand he was thirsty. And what did he do? He brought a whole city to God. Brought a whole city to God. So that just shows us an example that when we're tired, when we're weary, we need to be teaching others. There's no telling what the outcome may be. Well, another area where Jesus taught is that he taught when crowds were surrounding him, even when he was being mocked. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 43. Long event here, but we're going to see all the crowds and we're going to see all the mocking and yet Jesus was teaching. So, Verse 22, it says, And behold, there cometh one by the one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. He fell at Jesus' feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she, may, and she shall live. So here we have... Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He is one of the Jews. And he knows that Jesus has the power to heal his little daughter who is about dead. Verse 24, And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. So here we have this great crowd of people thronging him all around him as he's going on his way. Now we have another individual introduced to us in verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many, many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. 
So all the doctors she went to couldn't help her. What they were able to do was not able to help her to get over this issue of blood problem. Verse 27. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Stopping there for a minute, how much faith did that woman have in Jesus? That should ask, make us ask ourselves the question, how much faith do we have in Jesus? Do we really believe that his plan of salvation was given, that he is the one who has all authority, that he is the one, the only one, through whom we can have salvation? Do we believe him when he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned? Do we believe, do we have the kind of faith that this woman had? Well, verse 29 says, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed of that plague. She could feel it. That's how much or how bad that problem was. And then verse 30, Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue, the American Standard Version says power, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Well, that was kind of surprising to the disciples here, verse 31. And his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? People are all, they're surrounding him, they're thronging him, they're touching him all over. I mean, it, it just, they're just all around him. And then he says, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? So he knew that. Verse 32, And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. He knew, and she knew. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She told him what had been happening with her, and she told him what she did. And Jesus didn't get on to her. Verse 34, he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. It was because of her great faith. She knew that Jesus had that power, and Jesus commended her. So here we have Jesus teaching, though he was being thronged in a crowd, teaching that, yes, I am the Messiah. I am able to heal you. I am here to bring salvation to the world. Verse 35. While he had spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? She's dead. There's nothing he can do. There's no faith there. But verse 36 says, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. He just heard his daughter was dead. And then he heard Jesus say, don't be afraid, just believe. Again, that comes to us, doesn't it? We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid of death. We shouldn't be afraid of what's going to happen to us. Only believe. Because we know that if we believe, we obey. It's not just belief only, as some try to teach. That's just ridiculous. Scriptures do not teach that. But if we believe and obey, we should have no fear of what's going to happen to us when we're going to die, such things as that. Verse 37. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh into the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. All oh, their weeping and wailing and noise and all this tumult going on. Verse 39, when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? 
The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Well, here comes the mocking. Verse 40, And they laughed him to scorn. Isn't it amazing that they were weeping and wailing, and now they're laughing? You not think some of that might have been fake? But, when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, going back, that being Peter, James, and John, and entereth into where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. You know, this is just a, another example. You know, Jesus taught whenever he was being mocked. It didn't bother him. He sent them all out. And this is, again, as I was saying, this is just another example of the inspiration of the scriptures. You know, if this had been a man-made document, oh, he would have gone out and he would have criticized those that mocked him and, see, I told you so, she was just, and stuff like that. No. You see, the Bible doesn't have to do that. God's Word doesn't do that. Men would have. You think about movies we watch and such things as that. But God's Word doesn't. He just, it gives us the facts and it tells us the astonishment of those that saw her raised from the dead. So Jesus taught when the crowd surrounded him, people mocked him. Jesus taught while he was on the cross also. We go to the book of Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. The first verse I want to read is verse... 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Jesus has just been brought to the place of his crucifixion. In verse 33 it says, When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, other on the left. Jesus there in his prayer to the Father is teaching those around him. They're probably not listening very much because what did they do? They parted his raiment. They cast lots for him. But there are those who will try to say, well, Jesus forgave them all at that time, and that's not the case. Now, I want you to keep a marker here in Luke 23 and go to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Acts 2, 36 to 38. At the end here of Peter's sermon, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, if Jesus forgave them while he was on the cross, or if God forgave them while Jesus was on the cross, Peter would have said, You don't have to do anything. Jesus has already forgiven you. There's nothing you need to do. But that's not what he said. Peter said unto them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There are some that try to say the word for there, the Greek word ace means because of. It doesn't. It means for, unto, toward. Baptism is necessary for salvation. No matter how many people may shout, it's not. God's word definitely says that it is. Well, anyway, Jesus was teaching on the cross. Now let's go over a few more verses a little further down to verses 44 to 47. 
verses 44 to 47. It says, And it was about the sixth hour, and this is about noon, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Here we have a Roman centurion, a Gentile. But when he saw what was done, he heard what Jesus said. He said, This certainly was a righteous man. So Jesus was teaching while he was on the cross. So those are some of the when did Jesus teach. He taught when he was dying, I guess you would say, on the cross. But now let's look at where did Jesus teach. Where did he teach? Well, in Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, we see that Jesus taught on the mountains. It says, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Oh, look at this magnificent building, Jesus. Verse 2, And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall be not thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And then Jesus goes on to speak to them about the destruction of Jerusalem. And we've gone over that before, so we're not going to go through all of this again. But just realizing again that there is, there were, put it that way, there were signs for the destruction of Jerusalem. There are no signs for Jesus' second coming. Again, you get down to verse 32 of Mark 13. says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son the Father. So I don't know if Jesus may know now, he may not, but at that time only the Father knew, and no man knows. No man knows today when Jesus is going to come back. But he taught while he was on the mountains. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Jesus taught by the seaside. Mark 4, 1 and 2. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the ship. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his doctrine or in his teaching, and we're looking at the parable of the sower there that Jesus gave at this point. So he taught by the seaside. Now we could go on through the parable of the sower there and see what Jesus taught. He said, Behold, there went out a sower to sow. You know, this is a parable. This is an everyday thing. A sower went out to sow seed. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Okay, that's a normal everyday occurrence. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Okay, everyday occurrence there. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Okay, that's normal. Other fell on good ground and did yield fruit and sprang that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. 
All right, so here we have him just saying, so we went out to sow, okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, verse 10, when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing, they may see and not perceive. See, they didn't understand what, that it was a parable. And hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. They're not willing to listen, in other words. They don't want to know. But here his disciples want to know. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? And then Jesus explains it to them. The sower soweth the word. That means the sower. And who are sowers? You and I. We are to sow the word of God. We are to spread the word of God forth. Verse 15, These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Verse 16, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in. Choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. These, verse 20, are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So what is Jesus teaching there? You know, there's a lot of what's in here. Well, Jesus is teaching us we are to sow the word. We are not to pay attention to what, oh, I guess you'd say what circumstance people are in, what state people are in, whether they're rich or they're poor. We're to sow the word. Some of them are not going to listen. Some of them will listen, but they'll fall away. Others will listen, but they allow the things of this world to choke God's word out. But others are going to listen and produce other fruit. So Jesus is teaching us there, don't be picky on your teaching. You teach everyone. So Jesus taught by the sea there, though. You think about the calm sea, how well the voice is going to be spread out across the water, the acoustics there. In Mark chapter 1, we find that Jesus taught in the synagogues, the places of worship. You know, when the temple was destroyed, synagogue worship destroyed by the Babylonian synagogue worship began and that is the place where they would worship because there was no temple there. Well in Mark 1 21 to 27 we find Jesus speaking in teaching in the synagogue. And they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. You see, Jesus' teaching was authoritative. The only place that we today can teach with authority is from the Word of God. The Word of God has all and only authority. No man has authority. None has any authority other than what is given in the Scriptures. Verse 23, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commandeth even unclean spirits, and they do obey him. 
I read an article the other day, and the article was, the title of the article was Dumber Than a Demon, or Dumber Than a Devil, or something like that. See, right here, we have a demon confessing who Jesus Christ is. And you've got people today who won't do that. So as the writer of the article said, they're dumber than a demon because they won't know who they don't want to know who Jesus Christ is. But anyway, Jesus taught in a synagogue, a place of worship. So he taught in the mountains, he taught by the sea, he taught in a place of worship, he also taught in the temple, which is a place of worship as well. Go to the book of Matthew now, chapter 21, verses 23 to 27. Matthew 21, 23 to 27. It says, and when he was coming to the temple, so now he's in the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him which, as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Well, what are they talking about? Well, we back up a few verses into verse 12. And it says, Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold us and said unto them, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. So by what authority did you do that? By what authority are you teaching here? Who gave you this authority? Well, Jesus teaches them a lesson. Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? Okay, he put them in a catch-22. Because, continuing verse 25, they reason with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. So what are we going to do? Verse 27, they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell you by what authority I do these things. You're not going to answer me. I'm not going to answer you. But he taught them there in the temple. And then Jesus also taught in homes. He taught in homes. Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13. Matthew 26, 6 to 13. says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, so he's in a home, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial, preparation for his burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. So right there, just an example of Jesus teaching in homes. He taught his disciples. He taught those that were in the home. So whenever we look at where did Jesus teach on the mountains and the sea, the synagogues, the temple, homes, that should show us that we have the obligation to teach anywhere we are. Now, why did Jesus teach? We've looked at the who, the what, the when, the where. Now, why did Jesus teach? 
In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it states very simply there why he taught. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He wants us to be saved. He wants everyone to have that abundant life that can only be found in him. In John chapter 10, look at verses 10 through 18. John 10, 10 through 18. We'll start in verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and find, uh, go in that find pasture. He's talking about going into the kingdom of God here. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He wants us to have an abundant life. And that abundant life is found only in his church. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life for those that follow him, that are willing to follow him. There are many, he gave his life for everyone, but very few are going to follow him. Verse 12, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. He's a hireling. He doesn't care about the flock. He doesn't care about his brothers and sisters in Christ. Or he doesn't care about the church. The hireling fleeth because he's a hireling. He careth not for the sheep. That's what Jesus said in verse 13. There are a lot of hirelings out there today that are just out there to make money. And that's all they are, are hirelings. Verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You remember there in Matthew 25, there in the judgment scene day, he divideth the sheep from the goats. And in verse 16, he talks about, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He's talking about the Gentile world there. He goes, this flock, that would be the Jews. The other flock, the other sheep, are of the Gentiles. Verse 17, therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So Jesus is saying, nobody, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. <coughs> Jesus allowed that to happen so, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He allowed that to happen and to be raised from the dead. So that's why did Jesus teach, so we can have salvation and the abundant life. Now, how did Jesus teach? <clears throat> Back over in Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, there at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, is stated, and when it came, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. We've already talked about that a little bit. But Jesus taught as one who had authority. And again, the only authority that we have is from the word of God. And you go over to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, the American Standard Version says, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And then he gave the commandment, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus has all authority. Any man on earth who claims to have authority is lying in religion. Put it that way. 
We also saw that Jesus taught using parables. Going to Matthew chapter 13 again, verses 34 to 43. Matthew chapter 13, verses 34 to 43. It says, All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and unto his and his disciples came unto him saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So Jesus has just given the parable of the tares. Well, he is going to now explain that parable. And that parable is found back there in beginning in verse twenty four and reading down into verse thirty. But we'll look at the explanation. Verse 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. You know, whenever you look at the parable of the sower, we are the sowers of the word of God. But here in this parable, the sower sowing good seed is the son of man, that being Jesus. And then he says, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom children of the kingdom, the good seed. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Tares, children of the devil, those who follow his wants and wishes. And then he says, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The devil has many, many, many people in this world doing his will. All you gotta do is look at Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Where Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there there be which go in thereat. Those are the children of the devil. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Those are the good seed over here in this parable. Again, verse 39 there of Matthew 13, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. So that's the judgment day. Whenever the world comes to an end, the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered together and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of, the, of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend to them which do iniquity. You notice the kingdom. There is good seed in the kingdom, and there is bad seed in the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is the church. The kingdom is the church. So there are those in the church who are lost because they are sowing the seed of the devil. Verse 42 says, And shall send them or cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then, he says, shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The parable of the tares. He taught as one having authority. He taught having parab uh, using parables. And he taught with love and compassion. Over in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17, beginning there and going down to verse 22. Mark ten seventeen, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? The right attitude. He came running and he kneeled. He showed respect. We need to come running to Christ and show respect to him. But then he asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What better question could be asked? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. In other words, there is only one that is perfectly good. And then he says, Thou knowest the commandments. 
Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. See, he was still living under the law of Moses at that time. And he mentions here uh, adultery, kill, steal, false witness, defraud not. They mention six of the Ten Commandments there. Verse 20, the young man there answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. I've done all these, Master. What do I need to do? What do I lack? And in verse 21 says, Jesus beholding him loved him. How much did he love? Did he love him because he had kept those all the way from his youth? No. He loved him enough to tell him what he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. He said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. You lack one thing. Do this, and you'll have eternal life. Well, verse 22 says, He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. You see, he came. What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, and he went away. What did he do? He just gave up eternal life. He's not willing to do that one thing. And Jesus looked about and said to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? See, that was his problem. He trusted his riches. His riches were his God. And the very first commandment Jesus did not say, was thou shalt have no other gods before me. That young man's wealth was his God. See, Jesus taught with love. He told him what he needed to do. That's the way we need to do. He taught with compassion. He told him what he needed to do. We need to do that. We have kinfolk. We have friends. We have co-workers. We have members in the church that need to know what they need to do in order to be saved. Are we telling them? Do we love them enough to tell them what they need to do. Well, again, this is Don Boyd, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the script, opening the scriptures today as we, again, continued in the lesson of the who, what, when, where, why, and how Jesus taught. Look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.